0: Welcome to another episode of the Sports Mecca Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Abramo. As always, I'm joined by my partner, Sam Hengeli. Today, we are talking about the exciting 2022-23 Big 12 men's basketball season so far. To give us an inside look at the league as a whole, we have brought in ESPN play-by-play broadcaster Mark Neely. Mark, thanks for coming on the podcast again.
1: Steven, Sam, it is fun to be a repeat guest. It's uh it was fun, the first time on the Sports Mega podcast, and always happy to come back and talk more hoops.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned in the intro, this is all gonna be focused around the Big Twelve mm-hmm. season. You've had the choice the chance to call a lot of games this year. Um in the non-conference for non-conference games that featured Big Twelve teams and have also been able to call Big 12 conference games in January, so to start, just give us you know your initial thoughts on what you've seen from this conference in about you know halfway through the conference season.
1: Uh, here's what I noticed, Stephen. That's different this year. Every year is a little different in the Big 12. Now, obviously, the Big 12 has had great success uh, with back-to-back national champions with Baylor and then Kansas last year, and in reality. You know, who knows what would have happened in 2020 had we played it. Kansas was the number one team when, when the pandemic uh, ended everything. And Texas Tech the year before that, you know, was really one basket away from beating Virginia in the title game. So it could it could easily be three in a row, but two in a row for the conference. The caliber of teams, though, that have won it the last two years, Baylor and, and Kansas, neither of those schools has uh, as talented a team as they had KU from last year and Baylor from a couple of years ago. So I I would say this. I would say what had been perceived as the top of the conference, which usually start with Kansas and Baylor and and Texas and then the way TCU's played the last few years, I I think the the top of the conference is not quite as good as it has been in past years. Uh, The bottom of the conference has gotten better. So I think that's kind of compressed the conference and you get this huge middle section that really encompasses all 10 Big 12 teams and makes any matchup whether it's uh, a team that doesn't have a conference win so far like Texas Tech or one like West Virginia against any of the teams like Kansas, or in this case, you got a three-way tie between K-State, Texas, and Iowa State as we speak for first place. That it makes them all really competitive games. There's not a supreme team or, or one or two like Kansas and Baylor had kind of been the last couple of years. It's really just you know a few teams that are a little bit better at the top that have separated themselves, and then the teams at the bottom like Texas Tech, West Virginia – OU Oklahoma State to a degree that are trying to get back up and get themselves into the NCAA tournament.
0: So defensively, you know, a lot of uh, national (laughs) media members, uh, some broadcasters on the ESPN side have mentioned how deep the conference is on the defensive side. Three teams are in the top 10 in adjusted Kempom defense, and then five teams are, are in the top 50. So for you, you know, what makes... The Big 12, is such a great conference on the defensive
1: side. Baylor really won the national championship two years ago because of their defense. They were probably the best defensive team I've ever seen in the Big 12 in the in the 10 or 12 years that I've really covered the conference. Uh, but Baylor does not have a Mark Vidal on this team. They don't have a Davion Mitchell or a Macy OT. Baylor really won the national championship because of their defense. There are a lot of teams that say, yeah, our identity is first and foremost our defense. But then you watch them, and most of them don't live up to it. Baylor lived up to it. That defense for Baylor a couple of years ago was all over opponents for 40 minutes and never let up. They got enough offense when they needed it to win a national championship. I don't think Kansas is as good this year as they were, especially to end last season. That team became pretty good defensively, no question about it. In fact, their defense kind of spurred them in the second half of the national championship game, got the offense rolling and, and, and helped them come back to beat North Carolina. It's an extremely physical conference. And what I like to compare it to, and I'll show my age, I remember when Big Monday on ESPN in the 80s and the 90s, the marquee matchup was always the Big East teams. And, and, and it's not the same Big East as it is today. I mean, it was Georgetown, St. John's, Villanova, those type of teams, and they played the really physical style of college basketball more so than the, all the other conferences did at that time. That's what the Big 12 is now. The Big 12 is what the Big East was when uh, Georgetown and Villanova were meeting for the national championship in, in the mid-1980s. It's so physical that I can't even fathom how difficult it is to officiate. It, 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 I do not envy the officials at all. I think there are a lot of – in the Big 12, I, and I don't think officials would ever admit this, I think they called the Big 12 game differently than they do other conferences. And I only see this, I'll see in person how they call the game in the Big 12. And then I might see them on TV a night or two later doing a game in the Pac-12. And I look and I'm like, wow, that that wasn't a foul, you know, in the Big 12 a couple of nights ago. And that's just my own personal opinion. I, and I think it is so physical. It's almost like it was not the Big East all those years ago. And you can't call every foul. I think the only thing that frustrates teams and fans is occasionally when they call a foul, and you get a replay and look at it. And like, eh, he never really touched the guy. Those are the ones that kind of upset fans. I think the fouls that they miss aren't as egregious to fans as the ones that they call that they look at and think weren't fouls. Um,
2: following up on that, um, the, is it the Big Twelve kind of like makes an emphasis on this? Like, and they tell like these officials like what they want to get called and what they want to let go. Is this like a thing that the Big Twelve is trying to determine when it comes to these games when being officiated?
1: Yeah, Sam, I, I I don't think they, by design, call the game differently in the Big 12 than they do other conferences. I think it's just more kind of a human nature thing, especially when you see that physical of, of play up close, because a lot of the officials, I and, and I, I'll call some of them friends, Jerry Pollard, Doug Sermons, you know, John Higgins, guys that I see all the time and talk with, don't just work in the Big 12. They do work a lot of the marquee games in the Big 12 because they're really good officials. They work Final Fours, uh, but they do go off on other nights and go in the PAC 12 or big 10 or wherever. Uh, so they, they do have a system where they are obligated to speak with supervisors of that particular conference. But I don't, I don't, you know, the conference, Sam may say, Hey, uh, these calls that you made, we, you know, the great job, you know, here's one, you know, and it, it, so there is a system where there's some accountability, probably not as much as coaches would like there to be, but uh, it, it's just, Extremely difficult job. Yeah,
0: and if you go on Twitter, especially, um...
1: there's your first mistake, Stephen. <laughs> especially if you're an official, <laughs> if you're an official going on Twitter, you you know you don't want to put your name in there and see if you're trending. That's usually not a good thing.
0: It's funny because during I was watching the Oklahoma Kansas game that was about two weeks ago. Nobody knew who Amy Bonner was um, until yeah. you just searched Twitter and all of a sudden it was Amy Bonner. Oh, man, another mistake by her. Oh, that was that should have been a foul. Oh, no, that wasn't a foul. Same thing with, like, D- John Higgins or Doug Sermons. Like, after, like, 10 minutes into a game, the people who were watching it the fans know who these officials are and they let they voice their frustrations.
1: Well, I, I forget which year it was uh, that John Higgins had a Kentucky game, and I want to say it was in the NCAA tournament. And it was a game that Kentucky lost, and Kentucky fans were upset with the number of calls that John Higgins made. And again, John Higgins is one of the top officials in all the college basketball. And Kentucky fans did some things to John. John Higgins has a, I want to say it was a is a roofing business that he runs in the basketball offseason. And the Kentucky fans put all these negative ratings on his on his company and, and harassed them. And it really wasn't fun. I mean, I feel for John Higgins and I don't think John Higgins has done a, a Kentucky basketball game since then. I may be wrong, but yeah, fans, man, they, they you know, they, they can lose their mind sometimes. I get asked this. Some people say this about the NFL or all different sports. Oh, this is rigged. This is rigged. I'm like, no, no. Do you know how hard it would be to rig an NFL football game? How many people you would have to have in on the fix? And it's the same really for college basketball. It wouldn't be the same number of people. Yes, officials do miss calls at key times in basketball games. That probably does change the outcome a, a number of times. But just because that call comes late in the game it, it's amplified that same call may happen two minutes into the game and it just as much as the other one in reality plays a part in the outcome so it's tough to say but yeah games aren't rigged officials are humans and yes they do make mistakes sometimes that change the outcome of games
2: yeah well uh lucky for John Higgins he's at least not John Calipari right now with uh dealing with the, <laughs> the Kentucky fans I <laughs>
1: Well, Kentucky's starting to play better. It'll be interesting to watch the, the Kansas-Kentucky game. Obviously, that's always kind of the marquee game in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. Uh, and last year, when Kentucky came in, it absolutely smacked Kansas. It, it was really a wake-up call for Bill Self's team. And they were a different team after that. I mean, they progressively got better. And if you had told me the night after they, they uh, got beat in Allen Fieldhouse by Kentucky, this team's going to go win the national championship, I would have said, eh. not mm-hmm. seeing it, but it happened. I uh, mean, because the Big 12 SEC Challenge is January. And they don't play the championship game usually until early April. But the thing for Kansas and Kentucky, you know, Kansas has now lost three in a row. And, and their schedule is a bear. And, and they, they get a tough matchup in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. Kansas hasn't lost four games in a row since 1988-89 season. I mean, you got to go way back to the, to the first year of, of Roy Williams to find the last time a Kansas team lost four in a row. That could happen this Saturday. And it's not like the schedule is going to get easier after that. I mean, they got to go to Iowa State after that. Then they host Texas. I mean, so, uh, and, of course, the Kansas State game b- before that. I mean, they got to host K-State. Uh, it, it's, it, it goes to our point of how tough the Big 12 is. But, uh, you know, Kansas is just trying to find a win right now to, to snap that three-game losing skid.
0: Yes, absolutely. So, speaking of Kansas, of a little bit of Kansas, but, you know, moving on to – a little bit of that you know you had the chance to call the baylor oklahoma game and um baylor features one of the top freshmen not only in the big 12 but in college basketball with kante george uh kansas has grady dick as well Mm -hmm. from those two george and dick what's your opinion on those two from what you've seen and how do those guys stack up uh on a national perspective
1: I think they're both going to go in the first round of the NBA draft. I think Keontae George is uh, going to go higher than Grady Dick. I mean, Grady is is a really good player. The prime element that I, that NBA scouts really like a, about Grady Dick is the fact how quickly he gets off the shot. I mean, he, when he catches the ball here, most players just kind of instinctively bring the ball down just a little bit to kind of get some up in their shot. Grady Dick just catches boom and goes straight up. So it's a very quick shot and, and that's, something that really helps his game. He really hasn't had some great shooting games here the last three or four. I mean, that's that three point shot that Kansas really depends on. Hasn't been falling for him recently, but it's, but it's a, it's a shot that's going to get him to the NBA, at least drafted in the NBA, I would think in in the later part of the first round. Uh, I think Keontae George is a lottery pick. Uh, He's definitely one of the best freshmen uh, nationally Uh, in watching him in person. uh, I'm impressed by his game. he, Uh, can create his own shot. He can defend. Uh, He is not selfish. Uh, I I saw him after he had, he had had like a career high 32. I think it was at West Virginia. And then the next game they played Oklahoma state in Waco. And I had that game and they were pretty much taking care of Oklahoma state, but Keontae George only had single digit points. And, but a lot of freshmen would at that point say, well, I got to get mine. I got to start putting up some shots. Never did that. He assisted teammates, distributed the ball, had a good floor game. And uh, that impressed me. So I, I think he's a mature freshman. I think there's a pretty good chance that Keontae George goes in the first ten picks of the NBA draft.
0: So, talking more about the subject of of individual players, we'll focus on players that have really risen uh, their their game, that have taken their game to mm-hmm. the next level throughout the past couple of years. You no, know, namely Jalen Wilson of Kansas. He's mm-hmm. in all of the Big Twelve in scoring. Kansas State has a pair of guys, in Keontae George, sorry, Keontae Johnson, and Marquise Noel, and then Texas, Marcus Carr has been in in college for like ten years, it feels like. But um, <laughs> all of them have really improved their game this season. They're playing at a career level. What can you make of all those four players uh, so far? And if, if feel free to add maybe an, another name or two.
1: Well, let me take them uh, in the order that you gave me uh, Jalen Wilson. I, I've seen Jalen become the alpha dog for Kansas and he uh, really, even though Kansas has lost her last three games, Jalen's played well in those games. Uh, he is a high volume shooter. I'll say that he's not afraid to take a shot averaging about 18, 19 shots a game, which is more shots per game than anybody's taken in the bill self era at Kansas. But he's a very confident player. He plays with some swagger. He, I mean, he, it's not a over the top arrogant swagger, but he, He's just got a, a, his body language. I love his body language on the floor where he knows he's a good player. You're not rubbing it in anybody's face, but he's just he's just shooting and scoring. I I, I think he's really evolved, and without him, Katie would be in, in a lot more trouble than they are right now because as of now, you know McCuller's not shooting the ball very well. Maybe Dick's not. DeJuan Harris really has had a, some uncharacteristic bad games. Jalen's kind of been the one constantly good player through this three-game losing streak. So uh, Jalen's really upped his game. He's definitely the guy that He's the leader, Kate. You always have to have a leader on a team, you know. And and whether that's Abaji last year, go back to Devonte or Frank Frank Mason before that for Kansas. Uh, so Jalen's he's really evolved this game. Uh, for K State, you know Marquise Noel, he's just one of two guys. Uh, uh, Masood is the other who are back from the team that was left a year ago. So head, new head coach Jerome Tang has come in and completely redone that roster. But the one the the holdover of uh, Marquise Noel. Is a big one because for a guy that's, you know, I'm going to be kind here and probably say that he's five eight. You know that that may be a little more than he actually is, but he he is not shy. He's a great shooter. Not only can he shoot the three, he's not shy about taking the ball to the rim against guys that are sometimes twice his size, weight wise or, or more. So to me, Marquise is the heart and soul of the team because he's back as well for for a second year. One of the few guys on their roster, but the story of Keontae Johnson is a remarkable one because he's had the talent for many years. The situation that he had where he collapsed on the court at Florida a few years ago with the heart, obviously with what we've seen in in past years uh, when it's happened with a few players and players that have had the heart issue, a lot of schools, including the one he was at, Florida, basically said, hey, we love you. We wish you well, but we're not going to let you play here. There's most schools, in fact, maybe all of them except K-State, uh, were reluctant to, to sign off and let him play because of the issues that he has had with his heart. And it's, it's a, uh, it's something that's really paid off for Kansas state. I think Keontae would have gone pretty much anywhere, especially in a power five conference to any school that was willing to put aside whatever risk, however small or large it is with his, with his heart. And and it looks to be a very small risk at this point. Uh, And Keontae is a grown up man and he gave Kansas not just the Jayhawks in that game, but he's given the big 12 matchup headaches. And I've seen, I saw him the first time in person in non-conference when they played in B. Wichita state to what he is doing now. And, and he's evolved where he's gotten more confident. This is a guy who was an sec preseason player of the year, the year that, that he had the issue with the heart. So he's been a player with a high ceiling and he's starting to, to evolve towards that ceiling, man. He uh, for Kansas when they play K state, on uh, Tuesday night at Allen Fieldhouse, Keontae Johnson's going to have a big play in that game, a big role in that game, and Kansas is going to have to figure out what they're going to do differently than they couldn't do against him in, uh, in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned Marcus Carr. Yes, Marcus has been around a long time. He actually started at Pittsburgh one year. Most people don't realize that. They remember his time at Minnesota, uh, and then now he's a couple of years with Texas. With Texas, the question I had is, when the unfortunate situation happened with Chris Beard, Uh, and he, Chris, eventually lost his job as a result of that. How were the players going to react? Because basically everybody on that roster was brought in by Chris Beard. There are a few exceptions, but not many. The core all attracted to play at Texas because of Chris Beard, and now he's not there. Are they going to do the same, at least for the rest of the season, for Rodney Terry? And I think they have bought in. I I don't know if Rodney Terry is going to get that job full-time, if things happen in in Lexington, Kentucky, and Kyle Perry becomes available. There are a lot of fans in Austin that would like him to, to come down there. But uh, I think the Texas team is bought in. I'll have the Texas game at K State a week from this Saturday, and that's, that's going to be a fun game. These are two teams right near the top of the conference. So Marcus is, is the, the floor leader for Texas, but Texas is a really uber really talented team.
2: Yeah, so I want to talk a little bit about Rodney Terry. He uh, took over mm-hmm. and written the ship really well for the uh, Texas Longhorns. What do you think is does he need to do to keep that job, or do you think this is a situation where that they're just going to look to
1: find a new head coach? Sam, I think for him to definitely keep the job, they need to make a run to the Elite Eight, and uh, a Final Four would be even better. If that happens, I think it would be much harder at that point for those, the athletic director, to say, hey, appreciate the, the effort, but we're going to move in a different direction. I think that would help Rodney definitely because, let's face it, it's been a long time since Texas has had a, a sizable run in the NCAA tournament. And if he's able to pull that off, something that really Shaka was unable to do, and uh, Chris Beard won one game uh, in the tournament last year. But I, I think it's going to come down to them. The perception of the Texas fan is different, much different, I think, than the perception of the rest of us. That are not Texas fans. I think they have a much uh, higher thought process to where they are in, in the college basketball world. And I, uh, if Calipari becomes available, I think they will go after him. It would be an interesting fit. The one thing Texas has going for it now that they hadn't had in past years is the Moody Center is now open. It's a beautiful facility. I've been in there one time. It is basically a, a an NBA facility that that is now their home court. And there are some games that it's sold out. Some games that it's not. When it's sold out, it's a really good home court environment one that they didn't really have at the Irwin Center uh, on most nights so if they can develop the Moody Center it's a really a solid home court advantage that's going to help the program long term
2: besides Calipari who's some other names that you would uh, call fear the University of Texas
1: well I know K-State fans I've heard some they're worried a bit that that Jerome Tang might do a Bob Huggins uh, and that's leave after one year now Huggins left and Bob's always said this, that the only job he would have left K-State for after one year is his alma mater, West Virginia, and that, that's what he did. Jerome Tank did not go to the University of Texas, but Jerome does have, with his time at Baylor, his 19 years as the main assistant to Scott Drew, and before that, in, at the high school and AAU level, he did a ton of recruiting in South Texas, in Houston, Austin area, so he knows a lot of people in Austin. I don't think Jerome would and especially we'll have to wait and see how the, the whole season plays out for K-State. I don't think he would jump ship after one year uh, in Manhattan, especially as quickly he's as he seems to have the program on the move up. But, you know, Kyle Perry is really the only name that that I keep hearing Sam from the, the Texas fan base. And that's just because things haven't gone the way that Kentucky fans want right now. And they're frustrated that Kentucky hasn't done very well in the NCAA tournament in the last uh, quite a number of years.
2: I think the one thing I with getting Calipari is you're going to end up getting that recruiting class that's supposed to be at Kentucky yeah. next year. But if if he goes to Austin, that whole recruiting class is coming down to
1: Austin, Texas. Yeah, you're right about that. Last I saw, that's that as of now is the number one recruiting class uh, next year, all filled with McDonald's All-Americans. And recruiting freshmen is is different now than it used to be as far as importance in in winning. And and what I mean by that is just look at what Jerome Tang did through the transfer portal in in one season at at K-State. Now, only two players returned. Everybody else changed and he picked the right players out of the portal. It seems to mix well for K-State. Freshmen, I don't want to say they're not playing as important a role as they did four or five years ago, but it is, for the most part, a diminished role. Most coaches want to get old and stay old, as they say now. They want older players to play. So in many ways, they say we recruit players twice coaches. Now we recruit them when they're in high school. And then as a freshman, they may not go to our school, mm-hmm. but the fact that we did recruit them. And now with the transfer portal, that doesn't mean they won't wind up at my school eventually. Uh, so if those players would follow Calipari, uh, even if they didn't, there may be some of those a year or two later that follow him to wherever he might go.
0: Yo, there are many events coming up in the world of sports.
2: It'd be great to be in attendance for such. Where can we get tickets? The geek. You see, SeatGeek is an app that can help you find the best seats with the best deals. SeatGeek shows you different tickets available with green being the best deals and red not being the hot deals. The best part is it shows you where you'll be sitting at the event. If you use the code SportsMecca, you could get $20 off your first purchase.
0: Get your seat at SeatGeek today.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That was kind of the same thing that happened when he uh, left for Kentucky from Memphis. And you know, mm-hmm. guys to flip from uh, Memphis to Kentucky.
1: It's free agency. It's the wild, wild west in college yeah. athletics. And college basketball is, is no exception.
2: In the uh, mid-2000s, uh, early 2010s, uh, the Pittsburgh Panthers were one of the best team programs in college basketball at the time. Mm-hmm. Now that team has now uh, changed its name to the TCU Horn Frogs. They yeah. started out the year slow, but I've looked like a juggernaut the past couple of weeks. How dangerous is this team uh, in March? And is this one of Jamie? How does this team uh, compare to to Jamie Dixon's teams at Pitt?
1: I tell you what, Sam. Uh, Big Twelve fans, the average Big Twelve fan probably doesn't realize how good Jamie Dixon's Pitts Pittsburgh teams were, especially in the regular season. He had a number of 30-plus win seasons at Pittsburgh. I think there was a year or two that he had them as a number one seed. Really, really good program while he was there. Played basketball at TCU. That's his alma mater. So he winds up at TCU. Even before the season started, when people ask me, well, who's the best team in the Big 12, at least to start the year? I said it was TCU because they had all five starters back, which is almost completely unheard of. But it's five starters off a really good team last year. Quite frankly, they should have beaten the number one seed Arizona. They got a bad call at the end of the game. Let's go back to officiating and how sometimes <laughs> a bad call can change the outcome of the game. There should have been a foul on Mike Miles shooting free throws at the end of that to win the game to, to beat the, the one seed Arizona. I think TCU on paper is the best team. They got a post player, Eddie Lampkin, uh, that can play on the perimeter. He can get to the, to the rim, which by the way is the, is the type of player that is giving Kansas all kinds of fits right now. A big that's versatile and can move it has a little bit of agility to, to, to move around and Eddie Lampkin is that type of player uh, there are others in the conference but I, I think that all the pieces are there for TCU five losses is probably going to be enough to at least get a share of the conference title this year I really don't think anybody's going to have four or fewer losses Nine, maybe four but I think five losses uh, is still probably going to get you a share and I think TCU is probably going to be one of those teams.
2: Yeah, currently on the uh, Ken Palm, they had it set up where they had the uh, Big 12 champion, a four way tie with everybody with the four teams at 11 and seven.
1: Wow, 11 and seven. So seven losses. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you got K State, Texas, Iowa State now with two, TCU, Kansas, Baylor with three. Baylor, after starting 0 and 3 now, uh, you know, would have won uh, five in a row. So they've started to find their groove in the, in two of the three games that they lost. They lost the two at home by a total of three points. I mean, so uh, Baylor could really easily be seven or one at this point.
2: Yeah, abs- absolutely. So Jerome Tang got his first uh, head coach opportunity at Kansas State this year, and he has blown away expectations like, you've, mm-hmm. like I've never seen before. As the Wildcats were picked by many to finish dead last in the conference. How does Jerome turn turnaround so far compared to other turnarounds, like what Iowa State did the year before with uh, T.J. Uh Sam,
1: let me start. Number one, most of the preseason polls that you see uh, in the in the Big Twelve for sure, and and most other conferences are all coaches' polls. So it's the head coaches. So there's all in the in the Big Twelve. There's ten guys voting. So when we see the, the Big Twelve release the preseason poll that's the head coaches that's not the media that uh, decides that so it was his colleagues in the coaching profession for Jerome Tang that had him finishing last now quite frankly with what they had coming back and what they had coming in I think most people probably would have said you got to put somebody last may as well be K-State Jerome's making it look pretty foolish right now but T.J. Altsonberger is another outstanding coach he has already gotten the the uh the mantra of get old stale i mean you look at his roster right now he's got i know at least one 24 year old a couple of 23 year olds he has definitely a team that's built for this era of college basketball through the transfer portal they are older players what what scott who told me we were talking about uh, Keontae george the other day and some different things I, i had seen scott right after they lost their first three conference games he said hey I've got freshmen, several freshmen that I'm playing that are going up against 22, 23, 24-year-olds. He said it's almost like a, a freshman in college this year playing against an eighth grader. You know, it, it's just there, there's a definite advantage for the older players. Iowa State and T.J. Altsonberger, they're they're taking that to the extreme. They've got some really good players uh, with a lot of experience. Wouldn't stun me if Iowa State won the Big 12 or at least got a share of that.
2: Yeah, ap- absolutely, and with the big 12 all the teams really like kind of close to each other like on a talent perspective and just roster wise it's never been as difficult as it's been this year and we've seen some teams like KU and Baylor had some losing streaks and uh you see Texas Tech currently is 0 and 7 in the conference mm-hmm. and West Virginia 1 and 6 I believe and and then you have a couple other teams TCU had a little bit of a dry spell early in the season before they kind of got hot well this is this like a typical thing with the league being so good that we'll see some teams maybe drop some games but are still like super good and still can contend not just for the big 12 but maybe for a final four as well
1: well let let me start off with just getting in the ncaa term i think there's six teams that are definitely going to get in and that's basically the six teams that are at the top four oklahoma state ou west virginia texas tech that are right now on the outside looking in, according to Lenardi. But if any of those teams wins two games in a row, three out of four, they're, they're going to be on the other side of the bubble. They're going to be in the tournament. So uh, I know we're getting pretty close to the, to the midway point of, of the Big 12 season, but any, these, these four teams that are kind of at the bottom and going back and forth, they're just a few wins away from getting themselves on the right side of the bubble. We're recording this while the Texas Tech West Virginia game is going on in Lubbock, so I'm watching the first half of that. And Sean Farnham's doing the game with Bob And Sean, who played at UCLA, said, "Hey, I see the Pac-12. There's only two NCAA tournament teams for me in that in in the Pac-12 right now, and that's UCLA and Arizona." Uh, and he said, "But if you put these two teams, referring to Texas Tech and West Virginia, in the Pac-12, he said they would definitely be tournament teams. It might be the third and fourth teams of the Pac-12, but they would get in." And I think Sean's point's a good one and a legitimate one. If you threw OU West Virginia, Texas Tech in in a different power conference, they're definitely one of the top 68 teams uh, and and would get in. But the way the Big 12 schedule is going to play out, you know, somebody's going to take a little more abuse than others. And I think there's at most seven teams going to get in. There's probably three that are going to get left out in the Big 12.
2: Let's think about uh, Oklahoma, it's going to help them out when they go to the SEC on a basketball side, not much for football, but basketball wise, they should be, they should be able to like win a lot more games in the SEC versus the big 12. Cause there's a little bit more gimme games in the SEC versus what the big 12 where every night is like, feels like an NCAA tournament game. And you, you don't bring your uh, a game that day, you're going to get beat.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I just had Baylor at OU this past Saturday, and really, OU should have won that game. Baylor was not shooting the three ball well, which is something that they live and die with. I mean, they shoot 45% of the shots for Baylor are threes, uh, and they were not falling. But then they hit four in a row with a couple of those coming from Jalen Bridges at the end of the game. Flagler hit one, and that's how they won by two. So they kind of snuck up and stole that game, one that really slipped away from Oklahoma. But Oklahoma and Texas as of now, are going to be back next year, but the new four teams are going to be in. So it's going to be a – this is really going to be the last year of the 10 teams. Uh, you'll have Cincinnati, UCF, uh, BYU, and Houston coming in. So here's Houston, a team that's been number one for you know a decent part of the year, and they're going to be entering the conference as well. So, you know, obviously Calvin Sampson, what he's done down there, bringing them into the Big 12, that's just going to be one more team that's going to be a juggernaut to get through. And Cincinnati, heck, you know they've had good teams occasionally through the years, UCF, BYU, but it's going to be different next year just because the footprint of the league is going to change. It's going to be weird to me thinking, hey, you may have to go to Florida for a conference game or Utah, you know, and those two spots are a long ways away from each other.
2: Yeah. So, how do you think uh, scheduling is going to work with uh, if, let's say, like OU and Texas, they just stay for that last year? Uh, do you think that they'll they'll like KU say will play each other twice and like
1: will everybody play each other at least one time at least? I think they will. They they they've been pretty close to the vest at least what I've seen. I haven't seen any talk about what the schedule would be. So to me, this is the last season of the true round robin where everybody plays each other home and row, which I love. I think it's just a great mm-hmm. part of this of uh, the Big Twelve right now. You know, nobody can say, well, hey, you didn't go there or there or there. Everybody plays each other the same amount of times, home and road. We're going to lose that after this year. That's one one downside uh, to the addition of the other teams. But, you know, it's something that really needed to happen for the long-term health of the conference. Not necessarily so much from a basketball standpoint, but football.
2: Yeah, Phil, scheduling for football will be a lot more different and mm-hmm. be more interesting to see when the schedule comes out and, like, it can determine, like, how a team ceiling can be because you might not be play some of the top teams like the OU Texas or TCU. You might end up playing, like, a little bit of the, like, maybe get a little bit of a better schedule, like kind of similar to the KU team in 07 where they didn't have to play OU in Texas and they were able to win 11 games.
1: You know, and and, and heck, it's just a couple of years ago Cincinnati was in the college football playoff and UCF's yeah. had some really good years. You know, BYU as an independent. Talk about a team that always gets old and it stays old. You know, BYU, I've, I've, I've come across some BYU teams in different sports where they've had a 28- or 29-year-old, you know, out on the field that, that happens. So it'll be interesting to see the impact that those four new teams have on the conference and then what happens after Texas and OU move to the SEC.
2: What's the one team that, like, is the most intriguing team to you that's going to be coming in out of the four teams?
1: From a basketball standpoint? Or
2: yeah, it, and it, maybe we'll talk football, maybe
1: just like sure. athletics in general. From a basketball standpoint, it's Houston because uh, mm-hmm. I, I really like Calvin Sampson, and I know he went through some up and down times and lost his job at Indiana. And, and quite frankly, from this is how much the game has changed. The things that the NCAA put down as to why uh, Calvin lost his job and and uh, then kind of was in no man's land uh, for a while are no longer illegal. <laughs> You know, and, and then that's not to take away and, and say he didn't, he and his uh, program didn't do anything wrong, but it's it's a much different world now, and he's taken that Houston program and just elevated them, already gotten them to a Final Four, and uh, it, it's it's just going to be another juggernaut team uh, to contend with because Kelvin's an outstanding basketball coach, and Houston's been good for quite a while now, so they're not going to sneak up on anybody in the Big Twelve.
2: Yeah, and uh, I just think about too the being in Houston, I. Uh... Recruiting is going to help a lot, especially in the state of Texas for both sports as well. And I think that could be a sleeping giant in both football and basketball. I wouldn't be surprised if Houston becomes a powerhouse in both schools within the next decade.
1: Yeah, there is a lot of money in the city of Houston. No no doubt about that. Like you said, though, I, I it would be interesting on the football side even more so because I think it's a much more balanced compared to the rest of the teams that are going to be left behind in the Big 12. Uh, with those other four teams coming in, I mean UCF can come in and do well. The same with Cincinnati, Houston, and BYU. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're teams that you're thinking like, well, they're going to be at the bottom of the conference for a while. That's not going to be the case.
2: Just think about TCU basketball. They didn't make the NCAA tournament since 1998, prior to the 2017-2018 season. Now here they are, looking like maybe a possible like team that can make a deep run in the tournament. So a lot can change. Expect when you uh, move into a conference.
1: Well, and this is TCU, and this is you know this is a private school. Obviously, uh, you think about it—the only private school, obviously, in the in the Big Twelve right now uh, that only has an enrollment of about, I want to say, seven or eight thousand. Yet they just played in the national championship game in football, and here they are with a with a college hoops team that seems to be set up to make a nice run in the NCAA tournament again this year.
2: So, I look at the big picture for the uh, Big Twelve particularly talking about the NCAA tournament, what do you think the big 12 needs to do in a tournament to call it a
1: successful uh, March? It's going to be an interesting tournament. Like I said earlier, I, I don't think the top of the conference and then in particular being Baylor and Kansas are as good as they were in last year or in the past couple of years. So to me, there's not an obvious team where you say, Hey, this is probably going to be a final 14. It wouldn't surprise me if any of the top six teams in the conference right now make the final four. You know, when I look around the nation and just teams that I have seen uh, via television, because I really do almost exclusively big 12 games, you know, Tennessee looks really, really good. Houston's really, really good. There there's a number of teams out there that I think are, you know, a handful, five or six that are like, yeah, you know, any of those teams could make the final four. And you know, there's a chance maybe none of the Big 12 teams do. But I, I think one of the Big 12 teams could sneak in. It just depends on who gets laid out where and, and, and what the matchups are. Tennessee, to me, and I know that's a team that that, that roughed up Kansas down in the Bahamas. Okay. Tennessee, when I watched it, every time I've watched it, man, they are lights out shooting. They can shoot the three. They can hit. they They've got a low post game. They don't really seem to have many holes in, in my view. It'll, that Tennessee-Texas game with Rick Barnes uh, playing his old Texas team is going to be in my mind even kind of more fun to watch than, than Kentucky can't Kansas I know the KU fans will disagree
2: yeah eh, maybe I don't know way like KU's playing I think uh people want to <laughs> watch the te- Tennessee Texas game but I think uh one team I think has a really good chance of winning it all right now is I would say Alabama Nate Oates is I mean that team is old experience and then they have like the best freshman in the country, and Brandon Miller as well. And they play fast. They can shoot it. They can defend. Could be that's a team that is very scary to face in March, in my opinion. Sam, you mentioned
1: Brandon uh, Miller, and and yeah, I think he's the marquee freshman. I, I would put Keontae George maybe two to him, but I think Miller at Alabama probably is the top uh, overall freshman. And you know, this is a this is a program that's dealing with some really. Hardcore serious stuff where a member of the team uh, involved in uh, in a shooting that led to the to the loss of a life of a young woman. Mm-hmm. So uh, and they don't seem to handle that as well as it could be handled in, in, in a terrible situation. But, yeah, you know, Alabama is one of those teams, like I said, Tennessee, you know, uh, the, the top of the SEC is really, really good. But I think what separates the Big 12 from other conferences, number one, it's just 10 teams. Uh, But that, you know, you can find a soft spot in the SEC. You can find some soft spots in the ACC down towards the bottom of the conference. And I don't think there are really any soft spots. There maybe are some teams that aren't, uh, you know, winning as many games at the top. But there aren't any soft spots in the Big 12. Yeah, absolutely.
0: You know, the old saying goes for football when people would want to play Alabama jokingly, they say, we want (laughs) Bama. Now you can say we want Georgia as a joke, but you can say we yeah. want gamma for basketball since they're number two in the country.
1: Can basketball actually take center stage in Tuscaloosa uh, at, at some point of the year? And it'll be interesting to see that because I know all the times I've been to Tuscaloosa and I do do a lot of SEC baseball and softball through the years. Uh, there is no doubt, you know, once you see the Bear Bryant statue and there is an extaven statue there already anyway as well. Uh, the what what sport is king though in, in that part of the country?
0: Uh, Has Nate Oates overtaken Nick Saban as the most important figure in
1: Alabama? <laughs> not not yet, not yet. We'll give him some more time on that.
2: What a time to be a uh, Alabama fan.
1: Yeah, you know it's not like Alabama football's done any good. You know they lost a couple of games on the last possession. If, if let's be honest, if you had to take okay, who are the best teams? At the end of the season, it might have been Alabama and Georgia right there. Ohio State's probably kicking themselves, hey, if we had just gotten past Georgia, we probably would have won the national championship. So I think that's the fan base that's the most frustrated uh, at the end of the football season.
2: Yeah, for sure, especially with them losing to Michigan on top of that. Not a fun way
1: for them to close out the year. But did make the college football playoff. You know, look for a while. Maybe that that Michigan loss was gonna gonna knock them out, but the the USC loss helped them sneak in there.
0: To to kind of put a bow on this, what's your final, I guess, synopsis, final thoughts on the on just the Big Twelve basketball season so far? And is there a a team moment storyline that you're looking forward to to see play out in the next month or so?
1: Well, I, I think in the just in the next handful of days and and say ten days, Stephen. For me, is how is Kansas going to come through this stretch right now? They've already lost three in a row. They've got Kentucky, then they have K State and Lawrence, and then Iowa State, and then Texas. Then it gets a little bit better. You know, they got OU and Oklahoma State. But until you get to the early part of February, where's Kansas going to be? That this is why Bill Self is such a great coach. You know, this has happened in past years where Kansas has lost a couple of games in a row they normally don't, don't lose three in a row and they haven't lost four in a row under Bill Self how does Kansas navigate this stretch because I think the other teams that are around it right now uh, are feeling a little better about themselves I mean TCU's been playing better Iowa State's always been there Texas K-State feels good about themselves Baylor lost the first three and now they've won five in a row but here's Kansas in that group of five and three and six and two teams and quite frankly they're the team that's trending in the opposite direction now that trend can change really really quickly but how does kansas come through these next three games and and in in the reality of it winning or losing at kentucky shouldn't be a huge deal because it's not a big 12 conference game but it can help them kind of turn the ship. they need to get a win i mean kansas losing four games in a row uh, at any point in the season is news
0: Mm -hmm. exactly so for The listeners out there, once they get to listen to this episode, uh, what are some upcoming Big 12 men's basketball games and college basketball games that you'll be calling?
1: The Texas-K State game coming up a week from Saturday. And then actually after that, I get assigned for a weekend to go do the Clearwater Invitational for softball, which the top 16 teams in softball all get together. And I actually do 11 games in a four-day period. So I miss a weekend of Big 12 basketball and then come back. Uh, that the first time I had done that softball tournament was last year. They asked me to come back for it again this year. Uh, so I'll I'll miss a, uh, a a weekend, but by the time I get back, you're going to be getting into the last uh, you know three weeks of the season where it gets down to the grind and it's going to be it's going to be nuts. You know, Sam Steven, I, I I'm excited to see not only what happens at the top but what happens at the bottom uh, of the Big 12. You know, is is Texas Tech you know, going to find some wins? West Virginia OU, if those teams can get to five or six wins, then that means that whoever finishes at the top or shares the top might lose six games, you know, or definitely would lose five or six. Yeah, I think you said somebody said that, heck, there could be seven losses could, could get you a share. I don't know if it's going to be that many losses, but I think five or six for sure for uh, all the teams at the top of the conference but it's going to be fun to watch down the
0: stretch. Yeah, absolutely. As always, I mean, you came on last, last year and it was a really good time. Wasn't a specific topic because we just kind of went over how you as a broadcaster made your name, but you know, this one's a little bit different talking about specific sport of the big 12 men's basketball, but I think you are one of like maybe one, two people that we've had on that have been repeat guests. Uh, So we really appreciate you once again uh, coming on the show.
1: Well, anytime, because uh, I, I do a, a number of different sports for ESPN, but for me, it's really hard to beat Big Twelve basketball and what I've been fortunate to be able to do the last eight, nine, ten years. And when it gets into conference season, probably my favorite thing that I do these days, and I probably and by a wide margin, just because of the the coaches, the the caliber of play. Uh, the circuit that we're in, the campuses. Uh, I, in the winter time, I can drive to everywhere except West Virginia. and The Texas schools, being based out of Kansas City, which not being on a plane is usually a good thing these days. <laughs> it's the marquee thing for me. I love it, and it's—I uh, I can understand why the fans love it. It's—it's uh, it's a fun way to spend the winter.
0: Hey, Mark. Hey, we really appreciate you coming on, and uh, you know, enjoy the rest of your week. Sam,
1: Stephen, always a pleasure, man. Yep. Anytime, guys.